prophet, a good teacher, a religious leader, a revolutionary, a spiritual guide, the Son of God. Many have described him in different ways, but who was Jesus really? How did his humble group of followers turn into the world's largest religion? Join us in January as we investigate the beginning of the Jesus Revolution. Investigating Jesus, a revolution begins. A series at Stapleton Church. Hey everybody, how you guys doing? Uh, good. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. We are about to jump into our Investigating Jesus series, but I, get, I have one update for you guys on our Raise the Roof project. So we introduced this project last fall because this building that you see all around us, Hangar 61, is on the historic registry. We own it, which is amazing. We're the only church in Stapleton that owns their own building. We feel very blessed to have it. But since it was built in 1951, a special concrete building, there's some concrete damage. There's some structural damage even. And we were looking at this back in the fall, and uh, then we finally signed a contract back in November, and that project is going to cost us about $160,000 total to fix the roof, take care of our house. Okay, that's what you do when something breaks down in your house, right? You take care of it. Um, you guys right now to date have generously donated $65,000. So thank you guys for, for doing that. Um, and because of weather conditions, the, the contractor says, hey, we need 40 degrees and rising to do the work. Um, so we're looking at March or April for them to start. It won't take you know, more than a month, I think, once they get the work going. Um, but what, my, what I would love, my dream, is that we have the $160,000 so we don't have to go into debt. Okay? We were in some debt when I first got here. It took us seven months to get out, and I don't ever want to go into debt again if we don't have to. Okay? Um, especially just to do some maintenance, right? So what I'm asking for you guys is to think about, could I give another gift or, or you know, a certain monthly gift? What I figured out with that amount of money that we still need to raise, $94,500 about, that just for average adults, so I'm going to exclude kids. I know some kids are given, which is awesome. But just you guys that are in here in the auditorium, on the average Sunday morning we see, that means if everybody here gave $315, we'd have all that money that we need. That's not very much, is it? Some of you are like, that's a huge stretch. I don't know if I can give $315. Maybe you can stretch. So others of you, you've got to give double or triple of that to stretch. Or quadruple, I don't know, ten times that much to really stretch. But what I want to encourage everybody is to think about, could I give another gift? Or, or, hey, tax season is upon us, right? You're getting all your stuff in the mail. Maybe you could say, hey, with my tax return this year, could I give a portion of it to the church? Or, or even all of it as my step of faith so that we can fix this house. Because, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later in our message, there are some big things we want to do in the future, and we've got to fix our house before we can do the new fun stuff, right? The exciting stuff. So would you guys step up to help us do that if this is your church home? Okay? That's the update on Raise the Roof. And let's jump into our message today. Because we are talking about the mission that Jesus has called us on to make disciples. I remember when I was young... I went to a church, and I remember the, the message vividly. It was my parents' home church. I think I had gone to when I was a little kid, and we came back a little bit later with my family. And the pastor gave a great message, and I remember it vividly because he was talking about the Great Commission. You guys know about the Great Commission? This is a very pivotal scripture where Jesus, after he had died and risen from the dead, before he ascended into heaven, he gave this assignment, this commission to his followers. He said, therefore, go and make what? 
disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's such an important scripture. It comes from Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It's so important, and I remember him talking about that. In, in that passage, the emphasis is really on making disciples. You have to go to make disciples, and then you have to teach and baptize them. And he was talking about making disciples, and he says, we're all called as followers of Jesus to make disciples. Okay. And this is how I do it. And he said, whenever I'm on an airplane, I sit next to the person who's trapped next to me, right? And I have this little trap that I pull out, and I share the gospel message with them over however long they have to sit next to me. And I heard it, and, and he said, okay. and then he, it was a great message. He taught us how to do it. He gave us the tracks. Okay, now go and do likewise. And I got it, and I was terrified. I have to do that. That's how you make disciples? I don't think I can do that. I'm intimidated even just the thought of that. I mean, I'm getting sweaty right now. Some of you guys are feeling it right now, just getting sweaty thinking, I have to talk to that person next. I don't even talk to them at all, let alone share the, the gospel message with someone I, I don't know from Adam. How am I going to do that? And then you think about it like, what if they ask questions? How am I going to respond to those questions? What am I going to say? What if they find out some stuff about me? Because I got some problems. <laughs> I got some sin in my life. What if they ask me, what if they know me? They're like, mm, I don't know if I want to follow your Jesus because I know you. Okay, what are we supposed to do then? There is an intimidation factor and a fear that I think many of us, if we're honest, feel when we talk about that idea of making disciples, right? And in case you're wondering, that is not all that it means to make disciples. That could be just one portion of it. But what we're going to talk about today is that there is this intimidation factor because it is challenging. If this is the call, the commission that Jesus gives us, and I believe it is that we're supposed to make disciples, how the heck can we do it? So if you're here and you're uh, brand new to church, the idea of following Jesus, just kind of to listen, although I think it's important for you to hear this because we're supposed to begin with the end in mind. You ever heard that principle? Stephen Covey, I think, says that. Begin with the end. You should see what you're going to do. And in fact, that's what Jesus did. In, in our message today, we're going to see Jesus calling his very first followers, his first disciples. And he tells them from the get-go that they are going to go make more disciples. Interesting, right? But he tells them what they're going to do, and I'm sure that they were intimidated. And that's why we need to talk about this, because we all get intimidated at the thought of it. How can I do that? I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. So how do we handle it? That's what today's message is about. So the big idea, I just want to give it to you right up front. We're going to begin with the end in mind. But the right up front is that Jesus' call to follow leads you to help others follow. Jesus' call to follow leads you to help others follow. This is... What it means. It's not just, I follow Jesus, I learn and I grow, I go to a church or, or whatever. I, you know, it's not just about you. It's about, if you follow Jesus, you're also leading others to follow Jesus. This is why our mission statement here in the church, maybe you saw it on the sign coming in, is helping people follow Jesus. And we don't just mean, it's Matt's job. It's not just the professionals, the people on the stage, they take care of it, we just show up. No, no, no. It's every single one of us are called to this. And that makes it even more challenging. How the heck am I going to do that? I don't know as much as you do. I, I don't speak as eloquently as who's ever on the stage. I, I, but how do I do it? But this is what we're called to. So how do we get there? And we're going to start from the beginning. So whether you're brand new to this or you've been doing it for a long time, I hope that we will all see that we should and can do this. It doesn't have to be intimidating. Okay? 
So what we're going to do is we are, like we're doing in this Investigating Jesus series, we're looking at the gospel according to Luke. Luke was a historian, knew, um, didn't know Jesus, but he went and investigated. He was a very educated man. He interviewed eyewitnesses, talked to people, went to the locations, and tried to figure out who is Jesus, what is he about, and wrote down this history of Jesus' life. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to go from verses 1 to 11 today, a little bit shorter segment than we have been doing in this series um, that still means you should pay attention, uh, even though it's a little bit shorter. Um, and as we're going to see, and, and as we see this call of Jesus, not only this big idea I want you to understand, but as this big idea, how, how it works is that there are four different components that we see in this passage about Jesus' call. Four di- different aspects of it that lead you from the point where I'm intimidated, there's no way I can do it, I don't think so, to, yeah, I think I could. <laughs> okay? These four different aspects of the call of Jesus. And the first one is that Jesus' call is challenging, okay? You can write that down if you're taking note. Jesus' call is challenging. Let's just put it out there. Jesus doesn't try to hide this fact. It is challenging. It does make you uncomfortable. It does seem intimidating. It seems even daunting. How could I do that? I don't know if I could. It seems bigger than I am to follow Jesus in this way. I don't know. I don't know. It is challenging. Let's be honest. Let's be upfront. We can be honest. I'm, I'm upfront, and I'll tell you, I'm terrified. Still, sometimes I get nervous, right? I'm, I'm paid to do this, right? But I, we, we all can be intimidated. It's okay to say it is challenging. And that's where we start out, being honest about the challenge. So as we look at this story, I want you to see the challenge of following Jesus. So I have a map here. We can refresh our memory from last week. Jesus began his ministry in northern Israel here by the Sea of Galilee. And in this section, it's actually called uh, the Lake Gennesaret. It's the same thing. Probably there's a plain called Gennesaret here, and from there, they, that's what they called the lake. People called the lake different things, depending on where they were on the shoreline. So he's set up kind of shop in Capernaum, a, a town that was kind of a, a metropolitan city. That's where he started doing ministry, started preaching, and he started performing miracles. So he's gaining popularity. Everybody wants to hear and know Jesus. So one day, he is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and I can just imagine Jesus that day. He's going out there for his nice morning walk looking for some seashells, minding his business, and people start coming to him. One after another after another. Everybody's just kind of flocking around him, crowding him. I mean, he's this is is way before TMZ, but everybody's there, right? Paparazzi there. Everybody wants to see Jesus. He's there. He can't get uh, alone. So he starts teaching them because that's what they're clamming for. And in case you're wondering, well, what did he teach? Come back in a few weeks. We're going to start diving into what Jesus actually taught. But he starts teaching them there. And he realizes, hey, I've got to do something because there are too many people here. They can't hear me. So he sees there on the lake, and and I have a little video that you can kind of see what this lake, this is what it looks like today, the Sea of Galilee. It's a very big sea, you know, a lake. We call it a huge lake, right? That's why it's called the sea. Um, And you can't really see across. And there on the shore, can't you see Jesus walking right there? You know, I love seeing the, the imagery and the, the video of it. And out on the lake are a couple boats, and they're actually kind of right up against shore, and there's a group of fishermen by these two boats that um, have just kind of finished working, and they're cleaning their nets, this group of fishermen. Um, and what's really interesting is back in 1961, I believe, there was excavated from the lake. It was a drought year, so it was very low water. They found uh, the remains of a boat from this time period. This is called the Jesus Boat. We don't know if it's actually Jesus' boat, but it's from the first century about when Jesus lived. So this was the type of boat that they would have had at the time. It's about 26 and a half feet from the front to the back, um, and it's seven and a half feet wide, um, which would be about the equivalent of a UPS truck. 
If you guys can just picture that. It could carry up to about 15 grown men, um, but there would be crews of about five fishermen who would work this. So you can just imagine we're going to see these groups of fishermen. So there's two of them, probably about 10 fishermen there on the shore cleaning their nets. The boats are there. And, and Jesus sees these boats, and he goes up to one of the guys, probably the owner of this, this fishing operation, a guy by the name of Simon. And he says, Simon, can I borrow your boat? Now, we were introduced to Simon last week because Simon's mother-in-law was very, very sick. She had a fever. And probably that meant she was on death's door. And after Jesus had taught in the synagogue there, he was at church teaching, and they invite him over, not for fried chicken, we talked about that, not for Sunday dinner, but hey, my mother-in-law's sick, you've got to heal her. So he touches her, Jesus heals her miraculously. It says that she immediately got up and started serving them. Hey, that's a quick recovery, going from death's door to, what do you want for dinner tonight? You know, miraculous recovery, and people started hearing about that, and that's why everybody was bringing people to get healed by Jesus. You've got to hear about this Jesus. He healed this woman, and she was about to die. So that was Simon's mother-in-law. Now, Simon isn't mentioned in that passage, but what we do know is he probably knew something about Jesus at this point, right? And had been personally impacted by the ministry of Jesus. So at least he has some respect for him. Uh, And so when Jesus comes to Simon and says, hey, can I borrow your boat for a little bit? He says, sure, go ahead, go ahead. And Jesus takes the boat and he sets it up right there on the shore and he actually gets into the boat because it serves as his stage, his platform, so that he can address the crowds. So now he's kind of elevated above the crowds. They can see him and probably they would have found a cove there on the lake. And because of that, the water would actually amplify his voice so they could hear him better. Okay? Even Jesus used technology to reach more people. This is a little bonus point for you. And I, I think it's kind of funny, but it is important. That's why we have a stage. You can all see me. We use amplification. You can hear me. We video and live stream our messages so more people can hear. We want the crowds to hear the message of Jesus, right? Welcome online. I'm so glad you guys are here with us. I talked to someone today. I said, have you been, you know, I was talking to them and they're like, this is my first time unless you count online, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, awesome. Glad you're here. I haven't met you, but I'm so glad you're here. I love it. We use technology to reach more people for Jesus. And I want to stop here for a second because we are actually having a problem of reaching more people for Jesus that is a structural type of thing. And it's our parking lot. Some of you are laughing. Our parking lot is way too small. I had some people tell me this about a year ago and I didn't really want to listen. Um, but I've looked at some experts. I've done run the numbers. And what they say is that on average... For every one seat that you have in here that you want someone to sit in, you need uh, one and a half to two, uh, I'm sorry, one and a half to two people per parking spot, okay, for adults, people in the auditorium. Well, we only have 45 parking spots, so we are way under what we have in our first two services in the morning. So we were kind of at this, this like average attendance number, it's kind of fluctuating throughout the last year. And it never kind of breaks through it. We finally broke through it, and then we went back down. We added our night service, which we gained a bunch of people. Do you know why? Because they started going to the night service. But in the first two services, what happens, and this is what all the experts say, is that people kind of come, and they're like, I don't know if this is the church for me. After a few weeks, they say, because there's no room for me in the parking lot. Or you're running late, and you're like, maybe I'll just stay home today. Then you don't come back. If it's someone's first time, and they drive by and see a full parking lot, they might not come in. We've seen people drive into the parking lot, turn around, and leave, and not come in. And so that's a major issue, right? So we're trying to figure out, we've asked people to, to park outside a lot, and we do encourage that again, because we want more people to hear Jesus, right? So if you are physically able at all, park as far away as you can. 
Even 21st Avenue right here, that's like prime parking spot, right? So park in the neighborhoods. At the school, we have permission that you can park down the street. It's a little bit of a walk, but hey, we need the exercise, right? So if you can, ride your bike here. I mean, hey, they could do it. Or another thing, you can come to the night service, because by coming to the night service, which isn't a full service, you know, then you give a spot to someone in the morning who can come and hear about Jesus, okay? So that's just some practical things we can do to help more people hear the good news. But we realize, hey, we've got to actually solve this if we do want to keep growing as a church. So we have a team now that's working on this. And this is my special plug this morning. We have a special team that's working on this. What are the solutions? How can we figure this out? Because we're landlocked here. And what we need is a civil engineer. So if you are a civil engineer or if you know one that's a friend that can kind of help us get the ball rolling, please come talk with me, okay? And we'll get this team going and we'll solve this issue so more people can hear the name of Jesus, right? That sounds good, doesn't it? Okay, thank you guys. And please pray for all that stuff. Enough for the bonus point. Let's get to our message. The call of Jesus is challenging. That's what we're talking about right now. Refocused on the first century AD. So, Jesus is there teaching from the boat. These fishermen were still cleaning their nets, but they would have been able to hear now since he's on the boat. He's amplified. And Jesus finishes his teaching. And then he goes up to this Simon and says, Hey, Simon, let's go fishing. And this isn't just like a fun thing like, Hey, let's be buddies and go fishing. Okay. Jesus says, Let's go out into deep water. So this would have taken some time. And let's go fishing. And this would have been very challenging to Simon. And here's why. Because the type of fishing that Simon and his crew did was night fishing. See, there's three different types of nets that people used in the first century. And by the language that's used in the Greek here, we know that it's a very specific type of net that was used. It's really three nets that were connected together. And when you connected them together, there was some mesh in the middle. It would go about 100 yards. But it was a white net. Meaning in the daytime, fish could see it. And they wouldn't swim into it. Also, the fish there hide during the daytime because they don't want to get caught, Right? If you've ever been fishing, it's best early morning, right? So they would go out into the night. Early morning would be the end of their workday. And then they would clean their nets. That's why it says they were cleaning their nets. So they'd been working all night. Well, this type of fishing, too, what they would do is, yeah, they would go out into the deep water and set up the nets. But then they would have some of the guys on the shore, and they would run out into the water, yelling, splashing, beating the water with their oars to scare the fish into the nets. In other words, this is a very labor-intensive job. You get wet and cold in the night, right? And they were working all night, and they would have put the nets out there, and then when you do have the fish all, you have to pull it all in. This is a lot of muscles these guys would have had. Very heavy, a lot of work, and they were doing it all night. It said they would have done that whole procedure about 12 times on average in a night. So these guys had worked all night long, were cleaning their nets now so that they could probably get some rest, and then do it again the next night. And Jesus said, hey, let's go fish. And Simon, um, I'm sure, would have been a little frustrated with this because he knows his skill, right? He knows his trade. He's a fisherman. He's a trained fisherman. He knows what he's doing. He's been doing it for years. He knows that fish come out at night. You fish at night. Here is Jesus character who doesn't know anything about fishing. He's a carpenter. And here he's telling me how to do my job, go out in the daytime. I'm sure this is all the stuff that was going through his mind at the time. And we pick up his words in verse 5 where it says that Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I highlighted this word master because Jesus was often called rabbi, which is a, as teacher, or, or lord even, which is a high sign of respect. But this master doesn't mean that. It's more like, hey, sir, 
Sir, like it's a little respectful, but not to the same extent. Sir, I hear what you're saying. And he probably even just said that nicety because of what Jesus had done for his mother-in-law. I know you've helped us out, sir, but I know my craft. I've been working all night, haven't caught anything, but we'll do it just for you, okay? Our nets are now clean, but we'll get them dirty again. We're exhausted. We've been in the water, yelling, swimming, getting nets, and caught nothing, but we'll do it for you. We'll do it for you. And I'm saying this because this would have been a very challenging thing, even from the get-go, for Simon to do. So the call to follow Jesus from the beginning is a kind of a challenging thing. It means leaving what you're doing in your life to do something new. Even to come here this morning was very challenging for some of you. I've talked with some people who are like, Matt, I have social anxiety. Well, we're called as, to come as a community. That's, that's tough. To join a community group, which we are emphasizing today, that can be a really challenging thing. You say, I have a full schedule. How am I going to add a whole other night during the week? Hard enough for me to come on Sunday mornings, or Sunday evenings. Okay, this can be a challenging. How, how can we, we do this? Following Jesus is a challenging thing. And especially the thought of making disciples, that's intimidating. How can I do that? When I talk with people, they run away. You know, I'm not winsome. I don't know how to speak well. How can I make disciples? Following Jesus is a challenging thing. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not sugarcoat it. I remember when I was in college in 18, um, I, I was being mentored by a guy with an organization called the Navigators. And my, a freshman year, so I had already made it second semester, so I knew all sorts of stuff, right? And he'd been mentoring me for, for a few months now, and he said, okay, Matt, we're going to do something because we've got to make disciples. So I'm going to buy some pizza and some root beer, IBC root beer, and we're going to have an investigative Bible conversation with all the people on your dorm floor. What? IBC, IBC root beer. I'll buy the, the food. You just tell them you get free pizza, free root beer if you come and with a spiritual question and we talk about the Bible. But you need to invite all your uh, roommates and everybody else on your floor. And I'm like, oh my gosh. They already think I'm a weird Christian because I go to church on Sundays. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the weirdo, right, uh, of the floor. And I have to talk to these people like, I mean, I, I can just imagine what they're saying behind my back right now. What are they going to say after I invite them to this thing? So I was intimidated, right? It was challenging just the thought of doing that. But I did it, okay? I'm, I'll invite all of them. Because when you're following Jesus, you're like, I guess it's challenging, but I guess i got to do it. What's interesting is Simon agreed to do it. He said, fine, we'll, we'll try it. <laughs> we tried this once. You're Jesus, so you, we'll, we'll do it. And they get out into the water. They set up their whole thing with the nets. People running out. Maybe they made Jesus get in the water. Like, you have to do it. Okay, you're getting wet today, buddy. Um, we're going to show you that you don't know what you're talking about. But what happens is that there isn't just a little bit of fish or a lot of bit of fish. There are a ton of fish. Maybe the greatest haul of fish ever in history. All these fish are swimming into the nets in the middle of the day. There's so much that they can't in that one ship pull the fish in the nets, onto their boat. So they get the second boat to come alongside. We, we need your help. So all these guys, maybe 10 of them total, are trying to pull these nets in. And then when they finally get the nets with the fish into the boats, it's so heavy that it's causing the boats to sink. This is an incredible haul of fish. They've never seen anything like it. This is a miraculous catch. In the daytime, these fish are swimming into the white nets. How the heck? And they're probably, it says they're astonished. They're freaking out. They've never seen this many fish. They finally get them to shore. Finally get them to shore. And this is such an incredible catch. And what we see here is that, yes, the call to follow Jesus is challenging, but he comes through. It's going to be hard, but God shows up big time. 
And when he challenges you, when, when he challenges you to stretch out, some, some people are on our global outreach team to Estonia right now. That's a tough thing to raise funds, give up vacation, go overseas, talk to people. It's challenging. But when you do something like that, when you're willing to step out and say, I'll, I'll do what you say, even though I don't even know if you know what you're talking about, God shows up. He shows up. And, and that's what he did with that Bible study my freshman year of college. Like five different guys who were non-Christians showed up in my dorm room, right? I'm like, what the heck? You, you guys aren't going to church at all. Uh, why are you here to get spiritual things? And it wasn't just for the free pizza. They kept coming back week after week. And then one of those guys even made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm like, how the heck did that happen? I don't know anything. I literally knew nothing. <laughs> but yet somehow God had shown up. And when we are willing to take the challenge of Jesus and follow him, he shows up. He shows up. Not always the way we expect or want, but he shows up. And he often shows up big time, like he did with Simon. And then what happens, you're like, challenged, challenge accepted, God showed up. You realize, hey, if God can do that kind of stuff, who am I? Who am I to do this? Because you realize, not only do I don't know anything, but I also have my problems. These people get up close to me in my life, and if I'm really trying to help other people follow Jesus, they're going to see my flaws, my sins, my insecurities, my weaknesses. They're going to see it firsthand. Why would I have any qualification to do this? But here's the thing about the call of Jesus. Jesus' call not only is challenging, but it's qualifying. It's qualifying. I love what Simon says. They get back to shore. They get back to shore. And in verse um, 8, when Simon Peter saw this, hey, and this is Simon Peter, in case you didn't know that, okay? Simon Peter, kind of big, big time guy, saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. See, when he realized that this Jesus somehow has the power of the fish in the sea, then who am I? He falls on his knees. Because he realizes how unworthy and unqualified he is. He knows his sin. This must be someone different. Not only can he heal people, but he, he controls the animals, it seems like. What, what is going on here? I've been fishing my whole life and never seen anything like this. Simon would have thought. This Jesus is different and he reveals my own sinfulness. That's something, when, when you get around people that, that are great at something, you realize your inadequacies. If you're a musician and you get around really good musicians, you're like, I'm terrible, right? Athletes, if you, 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 know, you, you play sports, you think you're all great. In high school, then you go to college. Right? <laughs> nothing, right? That's what happens. You get in the bigger pond and you realize, oh, I'm nothing. But, but you get next to Jesus, someone that qualified, that amazing, that powerful, you realize how sinful and inadequate you are. This is the same thing that Moses did at the burning bush when he realized that it wasn't just a bush that's on fire, but it was God himself showing up. He said, I can't be here. Takes off, he's got to take off his sandals because this is holy ground. It's what Job did when he encountered God. He fell on his knees and, it, and tore his clothes and had to repent of his sins. It's what uh, Isaiah did. He had this, just a vision of what the throne room of God was. And he could just see like the tassels at the back of God's robe filling the temple with the glory of God. And he said, I am a sinful man and I live among sinful people. Why are you talking to me? When you actually encounter the one true God, you realize how sinful you are. And that's what happens when we encounter Jesus. When we hear his call on our life, we say, to me, no way. And in fact, the more you get to know Jesus, 
the more sin is revealed in your life. It's not that you're more sinful, you just are aware of it. In fact, I would say if you aren't growing in your awareness of your own sin, you're probably not growing in your relationship with God. And I felt convicted this week reading this because there is something about waking up in the night again and again and again with twins that gets my sinful nature to come out. You can ask Melissa all about it. Man, there's just something about it. In the night, crying, loud noise. I mean, sheesh. I've said some things, right? Thought some things. I've had some attitude. And, and this made me realize that, man, I thought I'd come farther than this, but I've got a long way to go. Anybody done that? Okay. Some of you were doing that last night. You realized that you're sinned. Like, whoa, how can I even show up? on a Sunday morning. Maybe it was on your way to church. Maybe it was finding a parking spot. <laughs> Honey, I told you we should have left earlier. Nobody, none of you guys did that. But, but your sin, you, you realize, man, I thought I was more farther along than this, but I got so much sin still in my life. And that's what God reveals to us. And we feel so inadequate, so ineffective. I, I can't do this. I'm not qualified. But here's the thing. The call of Jesus is qualifying in itself. That's what it says in a place like Romans chapter 8. I think it's so fascinating. In Romans 8.30 it says, Those he called, those who God called, he also justified. There is a one-to-one direct correlation between those Jesus calls and those Jesus justifies. The word justified means that you are declared righteous, declared innocent, that your sins are forgiven, that God says, I know you're a sinner, but I still am saying you're innocent. Your sins are forgiven. Now that's a powerful thing. A good way to remember justified is it's just as if I'd never sinned. And everyone that Jesus calls and is willing to accept that call is justified. That's powerful. So that's why, even though Simon says, I'm a sinner, get away from me. I can't even be near you in, in, here. I, I'm a fisherman. I mean, fishermen, I don't know if you know some fishermen. We, we have some filthy language. That's what Simon's probably saying. Like, we have some sin in our life, right? But what Jesus says to him, and jump down to the end of our section in verse 10, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. I've called you to make disciples, to help other people, to lead other people. That's incredible. Jesus, I mean, he knew all of Simon's sin and more. He didn't scare him off. He said, I know your sin and I still am calling you. I'm still calling you. See, the call of Jesus is in itself qualifying for the task and the mission that Jesus has called us on. Maybe you've heard the saying that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. How true is that? God doesn't find the most eloquent people, the best people, the, the, the good leaders, the people that have good social skills. No, no, he calls the unqualified people. Glory even more. The fact that he could take Simon, who would go on to make some incredible blunders and some terrible sin throughout the rest of the Gospels, to, to become the leader of the early church. I think that God is just saying, hey, I want to use people like you. Unqualified, sinful people, because then I will be shown to be even greater because I've used you. <laughs> That's good news for me. 
I think it's good news for you. Because the great thing here is that God isn't just, or Jesus isn't saying, hey, look at all these fish. I don't think he cared at all about the fish. But what he's saying to Simon, to the other guys there, and to each one of us, is you are the catch. You're a catch. I love you, and I have qualified you as I call you. You are special. I've handpicked you for a mission. I placed you in the relationships in your life to reach more people. See, Jesus' call is qualifying. Jesus' call is qualifying. There's a third aspect of the call, though, because what I was so intimidated about when I heard that message when I was younger was the thought of being by myself in the, on the seat in the airplane talking to the person. Like, I have to by myself talk to that person. Like, I need a friend. Okay? Anybody else in here? I need a friend for almost everything I do. I don't go to the gym without a friend. I'll be honest, I need a friend. And I think some of you are in the same boat. Yeah, there's some of you that are there's self-starters, you can do it. But most of us need a friend, right? Or, or two or three or, or many friends. Well, that's the great thing about this, is that Jesus' call here is not, you got a mission, you're going to do this for the rest of your life by yourself. No, no, no. It's Jesus' call is also community forming. It's community forming. It creates a community around it because there are other people around you following Jesus. And that's what you see in this passage. Look at verse 9, and we'll go through the end of the, the section. In verse 9, it says, So Simon and all his companions were astonished at the great catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Even though this is touted as the call of Simon Peter, this is really the call of these three guys. They went together. James and John, as we'll discover, are very important guys in the early church. Simon didn't just have to do this by himself. He's doing it with others. Did you even notice Jesus wanted other people around him? Jesus didn't do it alone. We need a community, and the call of Jesus is community forming. And that's why we emphasize so much our community groups. See, even here, this is the crowd on Sunday mornings. You don't know everybody around you. You might know a few people. But you don't know each other deeply. There's not enough time to really get into people's lives. That's why we have community groups. That's where the church happens. We need community groups because we follow Jesus together. You need that community to encourage you, to challenge you, or else it can feel so lonely and so difficult. And when you do fall into sin, they'll pull you back up, challenge you, encourage you, and say, get back, it's okay. We got this. We'll do it together. We'll do it together. The the call of Jesus is community forming. I need it. We all need it. We don't have to do it alone. It was never meant to be done alone. We follow Jesus in community. And and the fourth aspect of the call that I want you to see today is that Jesus' call is transforming. It is transforming. Did you notice what it said in verse 11? Did you notice in verse 11 where it says, So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. They would have spent their whole life Probably from the age of 13, they would have become apprentices to their fathers in the trade. So Simon would have gotten the business from the father. So now for years, maybe a couple decades, he's been working as a fisherman. His whole life, that's all he's known. His grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was probably fishing in that same lake. Passed down the family business from generation to generation. Now they're leaving that all behind. And they're not just leaving their boats, though it says that, and their nets. They're leaving that massive haul of fish. That's a lot of money right there. That'd make them rich. And they're leaving it all to follow Jesus because what they have found in Jesus is so great that it is worth leaving everything behind. It transforms them. 
into something new. Something so much greater that they're willing to say, yeah, that's a fortune. I don't need it anymore. The call of Jesus is transforming. So does that mean that you need to quit your job and move overseas to become a missionary? Maybe. Maybe. But I don't think that's what it means for everybody because there's other people, and even these guys would go back and fish. There's talk about being fishermen later in the Gospels. Okay? They were fishing, and there's some other scenes with them fishing. Not everyone is called to leave their trade or craft behind. Even Paul continued to make tents when he was a missionary. That was his job. He made tents. Okay? So the thing is, is that what you are doing now, your life is no longer about your career. You know, there's the old joke like, born a man, died a doctor. You heard that, you know? We become our careers, right? But it's going to be different. Your life is not about your career, about making money, or about your business. Now your business, your career, your money making is actually about the kingdom of God. It's about Jesus and about making his name great, about loving other people, loving your neighbors through being a good worker or creating a good skill or service or or good. It's about even making disciples. I want to make more money because then I can give more money away and make more disciples. I want to serve because where I'm working, uh, where I go to school, where I work out at the gym, all those places are places where I can meet other people and let them know about the good news of Jesus. That if you are a student here, that you've been put in your class so that the people around you can know about Jesus through you. See, our whole life then becomes about Jesus and his glory. Do you see the, the shift? It doesn't mean you stop working. We all got to work. We need people in every single profession that are followers of Jesus. The Jesus call, though, is transforming. It changes your view on everything you do. It changes your view on everything you do. And the, one of the greatest things about it is it starts to change the people around you, too. It doesn't just transform you internally, but it transforms your relationships, the people that you love, your family, your friends, your workplaces. Here, northern Denver is going to change because we are here to tell people about Jesus, to help them follow him. That's the amazing power of the transforming good news of Jesus. This call is transforming. You know, some of you are thinking, how the heck do I start with this? Well, if you're a parent, simple ways to start with your kids, okay? You don't have to start with the person sitting next to you on the airplane, right? Start with your kids. Uh, my, our, our daughter McKinley is three now, and we've started reading the Bible together every night. The Bible that we're reading right now, is we've gotten a bunch of them, is My Awesome God. It's got some cool pictures in there. Um, but we've been reading this every night. We, we, I start, then I added on, like, okay, asking McKinley, hey, who do you want to pray for tonight? You know, teaching her to start praying for people. She starts praying with us. And I just got this book a couple of weeks ago, Everything a Child Should Know About God. There's another one on prayer, and it's just like one simple little page that has a little lesson, like, very simple, like, God knows everything. Okay, you know, that's the one thing you need to learn tonight. But I've been reading this with her every night, and so she's learning because I want her to follow Jesus and her life to be transformed so that she can help other people follow Jesus, right? So starting with your kids is a good way. Starting with your friends, inviting them to church, inviting them next week to your Super Bowl party. You don't even have to share a tract with them there, Right? Just have them to your Super Bowl party and love them and let them know that Christians aren't super weird all the time, right? We're kind of weird. We'll be honest. But, but then you'll begin to have a relationship and then maybe you can invite them to something else or invite them to church. Uh, you, you know, there's very simple ways we can do that. This is all about helping people follow Jesus because every single one of us, if we are called to follow Jesus and we accept that call, we are also called to help other people follow Jesus. You seeing this? It's intimidating, it's challenging, but it's something you can do. 
And God will show up big time. You know, I want you to be a part of a community group. We have three brand new community groups starting. You can join any single one of them, I think, as, as long as there's opening. But in particular, I want to emphasize um, three of them that are just starting. So we have, uh, let me make sure I get these right. We have Dave and Pamela Debus, And Dave is actually in Estonia right now. So he's not here to recruit. So sign up. Go in the back and sign up for Dave and Pamela Debus. They're actually meeting here at the church Thursday nights. If that works for you, sign up for that new group. We have another group, Graham and Shay Talbotzer, that are meeting in Lowry. Sign up for their group. Um, I think they have child care provided. And then there's another group, Ben and Emma Grimmel. They're starting a, a new group. Um, join one of those groups if you haven't joined one. Because if following Jesus is community forming, hey, you can form a new community right now. A bunch of new people getting together, you can all start on the same page. This is awesome. That's a great way to do it. Um, and I just want to challenge you today. What I loved, and I love all our community group leaders, but I was really um, um, love what Ben and Emma Grimmel told me last week. Because they were in a great community group. We've already heard about it, Ross and Megan's. It must be like the best one, right? They're, everybody's raving about it. They love their group. They have such good friends in their group. But they knew that more people need to have a community group. Their community group is filled up, right? Or, or filling up. We need another one. So they said, we're going to leave our community group, even though it's hard. These are some of our best friends now. And we're going to start a new community group. Now that's a challenging thing, isn't it? But they're willing to do it to sacrifice because they want more people to be able to follow Jesus. Those simple acts of sacrifice can be really challenging but are so rewarding. So I love that they're willing to do that. I know some of you are uh, doing things like that as well. But God is calling all of us not just to follow Jesus but to help others follow Jesus. You guys seeing this now? And I think that you guys can be a part of it. And I think that through it we will see not only our own lives transformed but our families and our community here in Northeast Denver. We've got a lot of work to do, but God is big and he's going to show up. And I think, as Bobby comes up here, I, I think what's going to happen, and I think even in this, this story, it says that those fishermen were amazed. They were astonished at this, this great catch, right? Wow, look at all these this fish. This is the greatest catch we've ever seen. But I think the whole time Jesus didn't care at all about the fish. I think he was thinking about Simon and James and, and, and he's looking at these guys, and John, and he's thinking, you, you're thinking about the fish, how astonishing that is. He's saying, no, 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 I think you're the amazing catch. Because through you, dozens and hundreds and thousands of people will come to follow me. And through you, 2,000 years from now, I don't know if you knew this, 2,000 years from now, there will be billions of people who will follow me. Now that's a great catch. Let's pray. Lord God, um, this has uh, been a challenging message, I think, for a lot of us. Um, we, we become aware of our sin and our, how unqualified we are, but you have qualified us. You have chosen us. You have called every single one of us individually, but to join as part of a community so that together and through our church, we can reach so many people to help more and more people come to follow Jesus and find the life-transforming good news. Lord God, we are so grateful that that Jesus went and died on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven and we could go out on this great mission to transform the world. I pray, Lord God, that you be with us as we go out from here, that this mission would continue on and on. And Lord God, today we are saying, I will follow you wherever you lead me, and I will help others follow as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So would you please stand?